Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Hey, Ben, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing okay. How are you? Doing great. Did you Have you caught any of the uh, playoffs, NHL or NBA? No, I've heard that the, the Washington Capitals have made things interesting, and uh, I've heard a little bit about the NBA stuff, but I have not watched any. Yeah, a lot of people around here are big Capitals fan. I've watched a little bit of the Capitals here and there, but uh, as a recording of this, they're down uh, 0-1 in the Stanley Cup. Hopefully, they'll have won the Stanley Cup by the time I recorded this. And, you know, fortunately, I do the editing, so I have the ability to say that I prophesied. I could just, I mean, say one outcome and then say the other outcome and edit out the other. <laughs> that is, you, you hold a lot of power. I do. Anyway, so yeah, it's been an interesting, uh, so interesting subject. The uh, playoffs, and playoffs, hockey playoffs. One of the teams, obviously, is the Las Vegas. Las Vegas is their first year of having a hockey team, professional sports team at all, for that matter. And as an expansion team, they're in the uh, finals. You know, the Stanley Cup. But one. A uh, sports team that's there that's less known of is the as the Las Vegas Area 51s. That's their uh, minor league AAA baseball team. Have you heard of them much? I, it seems like I have a little bit, but. Uh... Yeah. There's their mascot, an alien, I guess. I'm sure it is. So, but uh, you know, we're gonna, we're going to talk about a little bit about being aliens uh, today in our podcast, and how as aliens are to relate to people that are of this world. And uh, what are some alien movies that you might have seen, Ben? What are the Independence Day? Is that the one with Will Smith? How well did they get along with the uh, people of this world in Independence Day? It was a rocky relationship, to say the least. Okay. Well, hopefully we can teach how we can be aliens that get along a lot better than those aliens that Will Smith had to punch at the end of the movie. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, there's that. I haven't seen a whole lot of alien movies. I know there was the Alien versus Predator and all that. Uh, you've got the Terminator. I guess it's, well, he's sort. Of, I don't know. He's an alien. He's more of a robot. But you know. Along the same lines, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of destruction and blowing things up. And that is true. Now, the more common way in scripture we do see, even more common than the idea of aliens versus people of this world, is this Bible describes those who are in Christ as those who are found, and those who are not in Christ as those who are lost. So we rightfully refer to those who are not following our gospel, that are not saved in Jesus as the lost. And I want to talk today about how we can talk to kids and youth about the lost, both as churches as well as as parents, because I think that's a really important topic. So Ben, mm -hmm. I want to ask, what are some unhelpful ways children and youth have been taught about the lost in the past? Maybe some ways that you've interacted with people that has been less than helpful. Uh, what, you know, that they're dangerous, they're to be avoided. Um, 
looked on with condescension almost, like, oh, uh, those people out there in the world. Or sometimes, you know, with anger or antagonism, of, you know, very much an us versus them mentality, like a rival. And, and like you said, Scripture does make a distinction, very clear, but there's this antagonism uh, towards them, which you don't see in Scripture so much. It talks about God will one day judge his enemies, um, but it's not that um, we're supposed to, you know, build the fortress and keep keep them out. Yeah. I think it's easy to see an attitude towards them as the bad kind of corrupting force. You know, there's even Christian movies that kind of treat, uh, train children and youth to see the lost people as the bad guys that are out to get and destroy Christians. I think another way, I mean, that I've seen interact with youth that portray that non-Christians as being stupid. You know, uh, evolutionary mm-hmm. biologists are stupid people because they don't believe in Jesus. They don't They don't love God. And I think those are unhelpful and unwise ways that, that people interact with lost people. Now, why do you think uh, some raised in Christian homes develop an antagonism towards the lost like we described here? Well, that holy huddle mentality um, and sort of seeing them as a group rather than as individual people and so not knowing them as real people um, also just pride um, all of us are susceptible to that and even after we're saved um, we can be susceptible to it and so uh, you see that with Israel you know in especially Israel as they move into the time you know of Jesus coming there's this um, – if they learned anything from the exile, it was that we will not worship idols. And so they developed this disdain for the Gentiles, these filthy people, and you know we are God's people. And, um, and so you can sort of see that seep into the church. And I mean I've had that idea myself. I'm like, oh, you know, glad – basically the, the, the tax collector – or uh, the, the Pharisee that prays, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector kind of mentality. Um, and so that's – unfortunately, it's pretty prevalent. Yeah. I think it also comes from the fact that churches today and Christians often don't engage the loss much, especially yeah. sometimes young people. And, and rightfully or not, uh, there's not an engagement with lost people. So lost people kind of just become a stereotype, kind of become an imagery from a ridiculous Christian movie, like I said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, there can be Christian subcultural antagonism, you know, an attitude that, you know, we have to have our own things. We have to, that we cannot partake in anything that the world enjoys. Uh, we have to kind of exist in our own realm of reality. <laughs> we we need our own, you know, children's television, sto- television shows. We need our own every little thing. Maybe even pretty soon we'll make uh, our own uh, uh, bubble gum, because I know there's already testaments that are Christian mints. <laughs> I, I think there's also yeah, eschatological sense of pessimism. I think it's a wrongful mentality that uh, that the world is without end going to go away more and more uh, from a Christian worldview, but that the world had a Christian worldview in the past, which I can mm-hmm. describe as kind of eschatological. It's, um, you know, the uh, the Christian mentality is as the 
as the political right mentality, and it's the mentality that was held so well in the past. Basically, that the, the past generations were Christian generation, and Christian truth uh, penetrated society in a way that it doesn't now. And I think that kind of antagonism and that, uh, I think, naivety is what influenced a lot of that kind of beliefs. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. that um, I think that Christianity had greater influence in the culture um, but it's not like everyone loved Jesus until just a few few years ago. Now, what is the danger in our ch our children seeing the loss as enemies like this? Well, I mean, we and they won't love them, won't pray for them, you know, reach out, engage them as friends, um, and lost people want to. You know, we we want them to be saved, or at least I hope we do, but. Lost people will be less likely to listen if they know that we hold them with disdain and look down on them and, and all those things that we've talked about. Um, I mean, why why would they want to listen to us? Yeah, that's. I think that's exactly right. Um, I think for ourselves, it will make us think it's us versus them, you know, that it's a battle. I mean, like I said, that they're enemy rather than those who are in possession, those who have been controlled by the enemy, those who have been won by the enemy. Uh, I think that we also forget when we see the loss as enemies, who we were before we came to Christ, and who, apart from Christ's amazing grace towards us, who we should still be. The reality is, if it wasn't for God's incredible grace towards us, none of us would be Christians. All of us would be on the side of the ledger of those who are not in Christ. And before we did become Christians, every single one of us, even those who had a religious experience at a young age, were not in God's camp, that were not redeemed, were not part of God's family, but were rebels. Is understanding who is saved and why they are saved uh, versus why other people might not be saved, a theology issue at all, Ben? Or is it just kind of personal experience? Yes, it, it is definitely related to theology because we can all be tempted to think that we're saved because we're a little bit better or a little bit more deserving than those who are not. But you now this is in the Old Testament, but I think the principle carries through across Scripture. Um, there Moses is telling, he's addressing the Israelites before they go into the land. It's his you know, parting words to them. And in Deuteronomy 7, 7, he tells, well, he says, you know, you, you are a holy people. You're his treasured possessions out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So he loves you because he loves you. Uh, you know, it's it's owing nothing to you what you've done. Um, and so it, we just need the reminder that we are saved by his grace. And um, I mean, it can deal with, you can get into deep theological issues related to God's foreknowledge and God's election uh, and those kinds of things. But in the end, it, it doesn't say that God did that because of he saw something in people and, you know, People may, and even among our listeners, have different um, understandings of, of what Scripture teaches about that. But those those are biblical categories that we have to deal with. It's just the question isn't whether an election election happens. It's you know um, how how do people become that way? Um, and regardless, it's it's not anything owing to us. Um, and I would add, you know, I think we need to see this as a theology issue 
because we need to see this as not just a question of who's had a personal experience, but understanding how we relate to the lost as a question of how salvation works. What is salvation? Why God gives mercy to some and why God doesn't give mercy to others. The What theologians have called the mystery of mercy for many, many years. You know, I think a way in which we've seen this kind of divorce in a very negative way, though, is a well-known evangelist that we both of us, I think, really love, and we won't name them, uh, this person, and has had a great influence on both of us as well as many others. He has taught and many times that uh, you won't have no idea who's going to mean heaven and hell, that uh, Christians will be surprised when they get to heaven to see uh, who's there with them, to see people, and as the suggestion he makes, that we're living in unrepentant sin, that we're living in wild ways that they think couldn't possibly truly be a Christian, that to standing alongside them in eternity. And I think that understanding that was echoed there, that was taught by a prominent evangelist, really is divorced theology as theology related to assurance, especially to how we understand who is saved and who is not. Mm. That's good. Now, why is it important to teach children and youth why some aren't redeemed? Well, I mean, we ultimately were judged for our sin against God and others. And so that's the reason that, you know, we are not redeemed, we remain in our sin. And so we're redeemed out of mercy. And so as we teach them about that, we're hoping to cultivate humility for those young people that we're talking to. Um, if they are believers, uh, that they realize that the gift that they've received, and, and not because you know they were a little bit more awesome than you know their neighbor. Uh, I had a, a guy in a, one of my a Sunday school class with me in our church in Kentucky. And he said often that the view in the world is, well, of course God loves me because I love me so much. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we can all sort of have that mentality, but we're, we're hoping to cultivate that humility. And, you know, we don't have a roster of who's saved and who's not um, or even who will be. And so, you know, we, we are hoping that, that it moves them in compassion and love and, and concern for God's glory, too, to to um, share the gospel because there are some who are in sin who may may repent and believe and, um, and we don't we don't get a look into all that so um, we just try to put it out there yeah that's good yeah I think you're right and I think if we don't to echo a lot of what you said if we don't teach them why they're saved if they're saved and and why some people aren't it'll be easy for Christian children and youth to come to pride to think that they're saved because they're the smartest kid, smarter than other people, or because they make wiser choices than other people, then rather than realizing it is only by the grace of God that they could ever have any salvation. It's not something they deserve. Uh, I think it will. Al it also helps them when we teach what salvation is, when we teach uh, how they are to understand those who aren't redeemed. It helps them to see life as pilgrim days, uh, an old term to describe the Christian life. Uh, our life is we live as Christ as Christian, like in the book Pilgrim Progress. We live in a world that is not our home, in a world that we are aliens to. And I think if we help them understand that there are those who very much are not Christian. And why, why most of this world is not Christians, I think it will help them to see that this is not their home and they, are, they should be alien to this world. Mm. 
That's okay. good. Now, if, if we teach children and youth they are no more worthy of grace than the lost person, what impact will it have on their lives? Well, like I said a minute ago, hopefully it cultivates humility. Um, they realize, they go, wow, God saved me? Even me? Um, and also love and compassion towards those um, outside the church who, who don't know Christ. And so uh, hopefully the, the desire grows to to point them to Christ so that they might believe uh, because you know God will receive all who turn from their sin and, and trust in his son. And so um, we, we hope that God's kindness will lead them to that repentance, as Romans says. Um, and so, yeah, when, when you realize the depth from which you were saved. I mean, Jesus talks about that, that the one who's been forgiven much loves much. And so seeing, like, I didn't deserve this, uh, I think it makes you that much more excited about it and thankful for it. And um, it, it should push us. And I know even my own life, I was sitting here thinking about this, like uh, I'm not the personal evangelist that I want to be. Um, and so that, you know, Christ's love compels us to do those things. I yeah, They will start... In that same vein, I think, to resonate so much more with words of Christians that understood this, understood God's mercy given to them that they didn't deserve. Uh, there's a Christian song uh, that says repeatedly in the chorus, Oh God, my God, why hast thou accepted me? It says in the first verse, I am a woman at the, I'm the woman at the well, I am the harlot. I am the scattered seed that fell on the path. It describes us as all of these lost imagery in the Bible. That is our very nature. And I think when we help our children to understand that they're not David in the Bible story, but instead they're the rebel, they're the rebel that God has given mercy and grace to, no more than this lost person that they're interacting with is the rebel that God could give grace to. It doesn't just give them humility, like you said, but I think it gives them compassion. They will be prone to love and care for lost people that don't know Jesus. They'll be like the uh, beggar that's found bread. The beggar that's found bread is not going to brag about how amazing he is because he uh, that because he found bread. But instead, he's going to be quick to go and tell his friends, go and tell other beggars where they might find free bread. Mm, yeah. The uh, what do you think? of teaching young people, uh, some are on God's team and some are, some are on the devil's team and we teach them about lost people. Uh, that's not where I'd start. I mean, I'm not going to say there's no merit to it at all. I, I think I would start with family imagery because scripture uses that. It talks about God as father and he's adopted us into his family. I mean, Acts 17 talks about God, uh, he, he does adopt, but he also commands all people everywhere to repent because you're going to judge them by Jesus, whom he raised from the dead. Um, so I, I don't think that's the most helpful way of looking at it, and and it can help, I think, maybe cultivate that uh, antagonism. You know, I mean, we're in a we're a very sports saturated culture, and I think you know games are a gift from the Lord, but there can help build that animosity maybe in a, in a small way um, I just don't think that's the most helpful way of doing it yeah I think in further breed a kind of moralism you know the uh, that the mentality that you know life is about being on God's team it's about it's about being this uh, moral agent that uh, merits being on God's team and I think it furthers for those who do understand grace it just 
kind of goes deeper into this Christian camp mentality. And we don't need more of this Christian camp mentality, Christian this, Christian that, and uh, a mentality that, that so distinguishes and so divides us from the world uh, for the sake of just kind of pride. I think that's just going to contribute more and more to that mentality that's going to separate us from the lost rather than bring us to them in love and in the gospel. Christian lollipops and, and all of it. We no, do. I, I, um, I agree with you. Now, how do parents wisely help children and youth build relationships with the lost? Do they just tell them that they need to knock on their door and, and wear a nice uh, tie and white shirt? <laughs> and a bicycle. I think one helpful way, and again, this, this is something my wife and I have been talking about a good bit lately, um, but just extending hospitality to others. And that doesn't just mean having them in your home. But um, I think through that, um, doing it with adults, but also with kids. So the kids see you modeling it, but then also you're, you're making uh, your house, hey, yeah, have your friends over. Uh, I, I read an article the other day. Uh, a guy was talking. He was a, he's a, an elder in his church, and he's also a parent of teenagers. And you know, he said, like with video games, as long as it was not a inappropriate game, yeah, I've come over, you guys play the video game here at the house, eat snacks, that kind of thing. Just making your um, your home a context for that, including people in your life. Uh, I think praying for friends, those, those unsaved friends, um, and having a genuine concern and compassion for them uh, can help the kids see, okay, this is not like they're they're the enemy or we should be scared of them or that kind of thing. Yeah, I think a lot of our youth, especially, but our children as well, will already have some of these relationships that they can just build upon. Uh, I mean, it's I think it's a little different that if we're in context where there is even more separation, uh, but most of our youth and our children will have neighbors and a lot of times classmates that aren't Christians. And I think... Uh, an important thing is to help children and youth to be intentional with that relationship and to see that relationship is not something to be avoided because they don't go to the same church as you do or because they don't you know, profess the same faith as they do because they even look different than they do. But to teach our children and youth that it's good, it's right for them to have non-Christian friends, for them to hang out, spend time with non-Christians. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's not their, that their paganism isn't going to run off on them because the reality is we start off on regenerate. We have wickedness already deep within us. And so we can't find times to be intentional and to build on these relationships. You know, a home, if you're a parent and you homeschool children that are, in, and whether it be in elementary age or whether it be in youth age, whether it be in high school, this is okay. This is something, you know, I think there's a lot of debate on how to approach these kind of school systems. But even if your child is in homeschool setting, perhaps it might be helpful to encourage them to join a secular basketball league or a secular, you know, kind of baseball league that meets around the town. If they're not into that kind of thing, join some kind of gaming tournament where they can get to know people that don't know Jesus so that they can build relationships and see lost people as real people and start to gain the ability to share the gospel with lost people. And I don't think we have to be afraid when we do this that 
if they build these relationships that their Christianity will kind of fade away. They'll rub off because real Christianity, we saw from last podcast, is something that will stay even when the corrupting influence does surround it. That's really good. Uh, we've got a guy at our church. who He's away at college now, um, but he he plays different video games on, online and then like he also i don't know he films it on youtube or something but then he gets in these he does it like to have conversations with people to present the gospel to him and um it's cool just to see his initiative in doing that and he's reaching a niche of people that you know not everyone does but he's got a platform there and so um it's just it's cool to see yeah now, when given that kind of platform, Ben, how do uh, parents or volunteers and children and youth ministry teach saved young people to reach out with the gospel to those around them? How do we train them in sharing the gospel? Well, I'm going to borrow something from one of our our guests that we've had before. Um, we talked to Connie Dever about teaching kids theology, and she said, you know, they they tell the people at their church. Teach the gospel that saved you. I think it applies here too. When you take what has affected you, um, and not that that your personal testimony or these kind of things is is the gospel itself, or that that's enough, but when you can add that element to that and say, you know, this it, you care about it and it has marked you, um, that can come across in, in an effective way. I think, too, teaching them to ask good, thought-provoking questions, and hopefully you're doing them for a parent, um, doing that at home. You're, you're helping them to probe their own hearts, to, to become aware of what's going on and their motives and this kind of thing. But then as they learn to do that for themselves, being able to ask other people good questions and to gently challenge their assumptions and things like that and, and just, you know, I mean, kids are going to want to talk about stuff. And so throwing out some things like that that, that will get people talking. Yeah. Um, and just helping them to see their life and, and the situations in it in light of Christ and his work. Yeah, that's good. This is something we have to embrace and we have to be intentional about. Because um, a lot of statistics show us that the vast majority of people that will become Christians uh, become Christians when they're minors and are more mm -hmm. willing to accept the gospel at younger ages when they're first trying to find their identity. So a lot of our churches, a lot of pastors and church leaders in here might be uh, listening to the podcast thinking they have to solve their church growth issue. They're not growing. They're not winning people unto the Lord. Well, I'll tell you what, you all have, if you have children and youth in your church, you have missionaries that have a mission field that few of us will ever reach. And if we prepare children and youth to be able to share the gospel, we're going to be able to reach out to some people that are at ages where they're extremely susceptible to hearing the gospel and extremely susceptible to being led to the Lord through the influence of friends that love Jesus and love them. So I think we have to be prepared and ready with our children and youth. Uh, one very easy and simple way that we can try to do that in a very systematic way is teaching them a kind of gospel pres preparation, a uh, gospel presentation. Uh, you know, whether it be two ways to live, whether it be the way of the master, whether it be the Romans road or anything like that, I think to find a biblical gospel presentation and 
train them and how they can systematically and clearly articulate the core truths of the gospel to a lost person when they're in conversation with them. I think it will be a huge tool and a huge help. And there are some even tools for doing this with the really young people. So two ways to live, I, I like to use that when I share the gospel, and two ways to live actually has a children's ministry track uh, for presenting the gospel to children and really young people. Maybe even junior hires it might be helpful for. And it's called Who Will Be King? And ask the question of who will be king of your life. And a way, so using better questions for a young person that might uh, might be better understood to them and better put the gospel in their own terminology. And I think we can prepare our children and our youth in these kind of language so that they can go and not just bring them to church so they can hear the gospel, but so they can present the gospel themselves. Yeah, I, you know, I used to be kind of down on the memorized gospel presentations. And it, I mean, if, if you just view it as like, I gotta spit all this information out immediately. It's not so helpful, but it, it, it I think it really can be um, a good thing for people to have in mind to kind of help them lean back. Okay, I remember. All right, this is the next step. This is the next step. Um, and so that way, it's just a tool in their belt, uh, but not view it as like, okay, hold on, you got to give me this this two minute yeah uh, yeah of course. I've just got to get it all out kind of thing. <laughs> of course. Um, so yeah, I think those are valuable, and, and two ways to live is really good. And the, the uh, who will be king, um, got a box of those in my office, and there are other good ones out there too. I know there's the uh, the three circles is a kind of a newer one. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, of good biblical ways uh, methods out there to help present the good news about Jesus to people. That's good. You know, I, I think it's important to flip this around. We've talked about how youth can engage in a positive sense with those who are open to the gospel, uh, as well as children can do the same for lost people. But that's not always going to be the case. It's not always going to be so simple and so you know, so neat and tidy dealing with lost people for our children and youth. There are going to be times where they're going to be rejected and where it's going to be hard to live in this world, to live as aliens in this world. And so what then do we say to the youth or the child who's troubled by the behavior of the lost people that are around them? Well, I think it comes back to those questions, or that's part of it, um, asking good questions of them, asking why does this bother you? Uh, just this morning, I was reading in Psalm 119, and in verse 136, it says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. There, it seems that the reason the psalmist is upset is is a concern for the Lord and for his priorities, and people are not living in conformity with that, and, you know, this is bad. Um, sometimes there can just be like, oh, I don't like what these people are doing. It aggravates me or it makes my life harder. Um, I know of a church uh, down in Georgia, or <laughs> where I am, I'm talking like I don't live there, but um, some people that we went to college with went to this church. It was not there in Tacoa, um, but it was closer towards Atlanta and someone told me they had a conversation with one of the elders and it was really near the mall of Georgia which is a big you know shopping area and the guy commented that he wished he could blow up uh, the mall of Georgia with all those Sabbath breakers in there because of you know they were dis dishonoring the Sabbath and dishonoring the Lord I thought don't think that's quite the attitude we're after. Um, now, I, I don't. Maybe we have some Sabbatarian listeners. I, I don't think that Sunday is, is the Christian Sabbath. Um, but regardless, I, I don't think that 
that's what we're after. Um, and so you can just trying to you know probe their heart and see what is it about that bothers them. Um, but then if, if it is a, a godly sorrow over over what people are doing um, and there's a concern for the Lord and his reputation, um, you know teach them to, to turn that that angst to prayer to, to you know reach out to them, those kinds of things um, and and offer the assurance that you know one day God will, handle things he, he will make all things right and so we can trust him in that yeah that's good i think you're right to point out that being bothered by the world and being bothered by the behavior of the lost is kind of understandable it's not completely bad that our children our youth uh, might be uncomfortable with the way that lost people might behave in a way that is dishonoring to God, in a way that might be harmful of other people. So we can't condemn just uh, those, our children and youth that are uncomfortable with it and that come to us and say, what do I do about this? Uh, but we still have to, I think, teach them the mentality, I think, that First Corinthians teaches us, which is that we judge the church by God's standards, but we judge the world by a different set of standards. We don't expect the uh, lost to behave as if they're Christians, uh, but we do expect Christians to behave as if they're Christians. So I think there, there needs to be an expectation, and there needs to be mercy to know that those who are not Christians are behaving according to their flesh. They're being governed by their flesh. They don't have the Holy Spirit living with them and them. So uh, perhaps I might even urge in our children and youth a understanding that thereby the grace of God legitimately go I, that perhaps I might be behaving even worse or behaving in a sin that might be more acceptable but might nonetheless send my own soul to hell apart from God's glorious mercy. And there are times you clearly want to encourage children and youth when these lost people are behaving in a way that is damaging and dishonoring to God. Don't participate. And there are some times in which you do want to tell, you know, whether it be the bus driver when you see things going on in the bus that aren't appropriate. Tell the principal, tell a parent, perhaps, if something might be clearly harmful to the children and youth involved. But at the same time, we don't want to be Pharisees. We want to teach our children and youth, don't approach them like Pharisees. Don't act like you're better than this or that person because you haven't done this or that act because of God's grace to you. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we talked about the, the Christian Character Awards and uh, you know a couple of episodes ago and how they were kind of like Pharisee Awards. And uh, I was at a, at a setting where that was taking place and I you know thought this this child gets is getting a Christian character award for this and I thought well I don't know that everyone that's receiving that's a Christian but you know you, you deal with it <laughs> now <clears throat> what do we say to the children or the youth who are being mocked or persecuted uh, by the loss around them because of their faith in Jesus well I think you take them to what Jesus said that they are blessed, um, that their reward is great in heaven, um, and that Jesus himself said, they will hate you on my account. Um, you know, we're not greater than our master, and so Jesus went before us and, and bore that shame and scorn, and so he'll strengthen us to stand, and even to be in awe, more awe of him than we are of the world. 
um, but that there is a reward that awaits us as we stay faithful. Not you know this antagonistic attitude, but just trying to be faithful and to love even in the midst of it, but to, to see Jesus um, as more compelling than the approval of others. Yeah, that's right. I think this is a really relevant question. I think more and more today in a world that is starting to give up on a lot of pretenses of being Christian, starting not even to bother by pretending that there were cultural Christians, this kind of rejection and persecution will happen more and more. And I think we need to prepare our children and youth for it. Children and youth to face an uphill battle if they profess Christ as Lord and Savior, if they profess to believe what the Bible teaches, even when it contrasts so sharply with the belief systems of our world around us. Uh, but I think they do, like you said, need to know that they stand with Jesus, that they are in wonderful company, not just with Jesus, but with even the apostles themselves. And in that setting, like with the apostles, the gospel becomes more beautiful when they endure that persecution. God is with them. God stands with them as they suffer and as they are rejected. But God will use that suffering and that rejection to, to make the gospel look more beautiful when they're willing to turn the other cheek under persecution, when they're willing to love those who persecute them. And I think if we raise our children and youth to be willing to continue to pre present the gospel and continue to love in a way that our world doesn't even love, when they're persecuted, I think that's going to bring a great revival to our churches. It's going to bring great revival of, of, of people being one to the Lord because our, our churches, our children, our youth that claim to be Christians are going to look different, are going to act different, and are willing, going to be willing to present the truth of the gospel when they're nothing like the world around them. Mm, that's good. How does our talk with Christian kids about the lost change as they get older? Well, I think that we, they're going to need more wisdom and discernment, and we give them a longer leash um, as far as, they, I mean, especially if they've been a believer for longer. And, you know, you talked about the someone's lostness not, you know, rubbing off. Now, there, there's an element where you are careful and you don't make, uh, even if we want them to, be intentional with their relationships with unbelievers that we're not making the only kind of people they interact with unbelievers but you are giving them more leeway and making those decisions um, while still staying involved but I think too you're more frank about the, some of your conversations about the deeds of darkness and the reality of sin they're, they're becoming more aware of it and the temptations they're facing and the, the temptations they see their friends um, facing or falling to and so you're able to talk about that and, and how the gospel addresses those things. Um, and also, the gospel saves us from those things. Um, and so it, it becomes more mature in those ways. Yeah. I, I think when you have young children and you're trying to prepare them to reach out for the gospel, a lot of them ask a lot of big questions and hard questions that aren't always the most helpful thing to be answered directly. So if a young child comes and, and interacting with lost people sees that your, na your neighbor John is not going to church on Sundays, is always working on his lawn every Sunday morning, has no interest in things like that, and, uh, and your little four-year-old or three-year-old asks you that, uh, Mommy, Daddy, is John a Christian? 
the I think it's probably not the most helpful thing to give a definitive answer, but instead tell them, you know, for those who are, and t tell them what a Christian is in a way that doesn't directly answer is John, is John a Christian? But mm -hmm. you know, when our when we start to have youth, when we have older children and youth, that might be a very direct thing. You know, when uh, the our fourteen fifteen year old asks. Why is this person that claims to be a Christian acting this way? That is, is it really a Christian if you have no interest in seeking the uh, seeking God's glory, or if you're, or some? I've been hearing this or that teacher that's saying something like the prosperity gospel. Is this really what Christianity is? Is this person really a Christian? And maybe at times I think with discretion it can be more wise and can be helpful to actually give a biblical direct answer based upon the fruit that is in life and based upon where that theology stands so that they might better be able to make discernment themselves as they get older. The with youth, you can also talk about lost worldview in non-dismissive ways. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a wise idea to always go into with a six-year-old all the various beliefs of a Mormon or an atheist and why that they're wrong and explaining apologetics in depth. But it is an extremely wise idea to explain why to a 17-year-old why the Hindu neighbors believe in a Hindu, a Hindu version of reality, have a Hindu worldview, and what that means for them. Mm -hmm. No, those are helpful points, um, yeah, that you, you don't <laughs> have to give the lowdown, because then, you know, you, you say that to the small child, and then, you know, what they take from that, and then how they act on that, um, you know, they don't have the level of discernment to, to process it. Um, but Things could I think become really be awkward in the neighborhood. Right, um, but you can be more dialogic uh, with. Uh, if I, I don't know if that's a word or not. I may have just made one up. Um, but you can have more dialogue with the older, you know, prompting them, pushing them to to think through that for themselves. And so, now, what kind of changes can our churches make to develop a healthy perspective on the lost? Well, I, we have to remember the gospel. I mean, I, we're always in danger of assuming it or forgetting it, putting it aside. But, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, or, I mean, 8 and 9 is really the heart of it. But, you know, by grace are we saved through faith. It's not from ourselves. Also, not rail on the world around us. Um, you talked about judging the church by a different standard than we judge the world. So we shouldn't be outraged and surprised completely when people who are lost and spiritually dead and under the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil act like they don't know God. I mean, we, we should expect it to, you know. Now, sometimes certain things happen that are jarring, but, you know, not to just uh, to rail on them. Um, also, I mean, publicly praying for people who are lost with humility and with earnestness and love. Um, and in the sermons, I mean, I think parts that address lost people directly, but redress, address them respectfully and thoughtfully, but um, also with a, a, a compassion and a, a pleading with them to, to turn from their sin helps inform, like as people see that happening from the pulpit, it, it helps to go, oh, okay, this is, this is a, how we should interact. This is the kind of attitude. Uh, and, and that's more just from the leadership standpoint, but um, I, I think those, those are helpful. I think for teachers, think of Sunday school teachers or youth ministry teachers, there's an importance of every time we teach, 
remembering that we deserve to be lost. Mm-hmm. That's what we deserve. We deserve eternity in hell every bit as much as anyone out there deserves eternity in hell. And likewise, to understand that just because you're in a Christian church with kids with good Christian values and maybe uh, with a similar outlook on the world that you have, doesn't change the fact that some more that some of your audience might be lost. And, and in fact, probably a lot more of your audience might be lost than you want to realize. Mm, and I yeah. think that's why we have to we have to anticipate that. And then oftentimes I think we're surprised when so few people uh, we're surprised when people reveal themselves to be lost when they become young adults that we're in our children and youth ministry. And I think a lot of times it's because we just assume we assume that the good Christian kid and a good Christian church is going to of course be saved. You know, there there are people rather than understanding that we by nature are all objects of wrath and all of us have to be converted all of us have to be regenerated we don't come that way we don't come prepackaged regenerated yeah uh, i think one last uh, step you know one practical thing that our church is doing this year that we're pretty excited about is this year on halloween uh, and i've given my perspective on halloween before it will fall on a wednesday night and the Bible never says you have to have Wednesday night services, Wednesday night youth, or Wednesday night Awana or children's choir, whatever it might be. Uh, but we've decided that uh, in order to uh, be able to send our youth and our children and our families out into their neighborhoods for the gospel though, that night where people are opening their doors to them, that, that night where people are coming to their doors, we're not going to have programming that night. Not as a way of just saying, oh, I, don't, I want to get off the hook, I want to take a week off that week, but as a way of saying we're going to focus that day on Halloween this year on really being on mission and really focus on how we can engage with our lost culture around us and love our lost culture around us. Mm, that's that's good. So, now, um, what are some good resources on this topic, Ben? Well, I, I know that I'm sure there are books out there that specifically talk about our attitude towards lost people. None were ringing a bell um, as addressing that issue solely. But I was thinking of, of some things. And there's a book called Questioning Evangelism uh, by a guy named Randy Newman, um, and he's done college ministry for a long time and um he he's jewish himself uh he came to christ later i think maybe in college himself maybe as an adult i can't remember but anyway he said you know it's a very jewish thing to ask questions and you look at what jesus did often he he answers questions with questions and he's trying to help people think through the issue themselves um but just showing a um a just, just the way that you approach those kinds of conversations and re- approaching people. Um, another book, it's evangelistic in its intent, um, but it's a book called Who is Jesus by Greg Gilbert. Uh, it's a little red hardback book, and it's intended to, to be given to a non-believer, and it just assumes they know basically nothing about Jesus. And, and the way that he interacts there, um, I think, is so that that's a little further removed, but you're just seeing, okay, this is the intended audience and how he goes about that, like informing the way we do. Um, and so it's just giving this posture towards lost people. But I think you, you probably have some others that maybe they're a little bit different in nature. Yeah. And the first one, the author has 
had some controversy in Southern Baptist circles, so ignore the controversy with the recommendation. Uh, and that's <laughs> Onward by Russell Moore. Uh, I believe the subtitle is Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. I think it's a really helpful resource, and that's for people who work with children and youth, for youth themselves, for really anyone that's going to engage the gospel, engage the lost with the gospel, that's going to be living in a world that's largely not Christian, that is the world that we happen to be living in. So really, by that standard, it's for everyone, unless you live in some kind of bomb shelter out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that's a really great resource in how to understand the lost around us. Uh, mm -hmm. Another really good resource specifically related to this kind of thing and youth ministry as As You Go. As You Go, I think, is a really great uh, resource for youth ministry workers. As You Go by Alvin Reed. It's, I think, a really helpful resource for those working with youth ministry and equipping our youth to be missionaries, are equipping our youth to live as aliens in this world that go and proclaim the gospel rather than just kind of being in their own Christian shell and their own Christian bubble. Uh, so I think in this it's going to be really important to raise up children and youth that understand the lost world around them, to understand that the lost world is not their enemy, not the bad guy, but instead this is the way of the world and we live as aliens in it. So our youth at our church is actually going to be changing names in the uh, fall. And can you give a guess what our youth ministry might be called? <laughs> the Holy Huddle. <laughs> Holy Huddle. Maybe that would have been a better choice. I don't know. But no, we're going to be Area 51 because I really think it's important to understand that we are aliens to this world, that this world should be foreign to us, but that we are to be aliens and a very different sense in which those horrible aliens were an Independence Day. Or to come and be aliens that live in this world, uh, being foreign to this world, but want to offer the hope to this world that this world does not have. A hope of life everlasting. A hope of becoming God's true and everlasting people. And I, want, I really think it would be amazing more and more in our churches for us to start raising our children and youth to see their life experience to be living in a world as aliens. Mm, I like that. I like the, the idea behind that and that, that we are here. Um, but, yeah, we're not here to try to you know destroy and things like that. Um, but we're here to... Uh, to bring life, and, and you know, that, and not to define ourselves by this world. That our, our home ultimately is, is somewhere else, and it's better. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week. And join us again every first and third Thursday.